Hey, Nick. What's up, Adam? Where did you get that shirt you're wearing? The one that I like so much with the Star Wars things on it? Oh, this one. This one I get a lot of compliments on. I got this one from Roosevelt's. R-S-V-L-T-S. You know that company. I see them on Instagram all the time. They make great stuff. Shorts, shirts, all the business. Yeah, they have a bunch of great Star Wars designs, obviously, and other franchises like Marvel, WWE, Disney, and many, many more, so many more. They're more known for their button-down shirts, but they also do t-shirts and shorts, and not just for the men, but for the women and the children, too. Dark. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way they fit. The fabric is super comfortable. Can't stop wearing them. Nice. Well, I'm going to rsvlts.com to make a purchase because I actually don't own anything yet and I've been meaning to buy something. I'm going to use the promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off my first purchase. And you can do the same again at rsvlts.com. I'm talking to you, listener. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER and get 20% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, and welcome to the first official episode of Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. And I'm your host, Ryan Key. Man, this is so amazing. We're finally here. We're finally going to talk Star Wars. We're going to get into it. This mission that we have planned for many, many months, many moons is finally upon us. I'm excited, man. Fucking A. Me too. Fucking A. <laughs> Fucking A, man. <laughs> hey, Peter, man. <laughs> so, uh... Off to a good start. You know how fucking old that movie is? Office Space? Yeah. It's old. Like, this started to happen in my 30s where I realized that shit that annoyed me about my dad where he would just make the same jokes with his friends for, like, that were 20 years old. I'm doing that now. Yeah. Yep. With because my you, band and with my friends. Yeah, we, we lock in on our nostalgia at some point and then you don't move forward anymore that's it and then you make a podcast and office about space it. is definitely office space is definitely in that window of like cultural phenomenons for us that's like yeah we're gonna hi peter that's it forever <laughs> fucking a. anyways all right uh so we're we're here on this first official episode of thank the maker to talk about star wars episode seven the force awakens the first star wars film in 10 years following episode three revenge of the sith Episode 7 picks up 30 years after Return of the Jedi. Our old heroes that we all know and love have aged, but we've got some new heroes, and we meet them right in the thick of things. So, Ryan Key, why don't you bring us up to speed and read that opening crawl? With feeling. Yes. (laughs) Here's my theatrical background for you. Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Luke Skywalker has vanished. In his absence, the sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, has been destroyed. With the support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku. 
where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. Damn. Stars, planets, Star Destroyer. Off we go. Dude, I just got goosebumps <laughs> just hearing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember seeing it for the first time and and just every hair on my body standing straight up. I love this movie. I know I'm, I'm kind of bearing the lead here because we're going to get into our reactions, but I've watched it two, three times in preparation for this episode and it doesn't get old. I'm watching it right now. As we're talking, it's just playing in the background and Han Solo is just getting called out by the Guavian Death Gang. Putting him on fucking Front Street Which, right there. But yeah, I agree. What a film. I just, I mean, I can't believe how, how met my expectations were. Can't believe it. Same. Yeah, so like, why don't you sort of like run down the logistics of the film? Yeah, this section is what we're calling stolen plans. Essentially all of the IMDb details, so to speak. For cinephiles out there, you know, even if you love Star Wars and you love these movies, you may not know all of the, as Adam likes to call it, inside baseball statistics on on the film. So, shoot. What have you done with those plans? Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens was released on December 18th, 2015, with the marketing tagline, Every Generation Has a Story. Produced uh, and directed by J.J. Abrams, written by Lawrence Kasdan and J.J. Abrams. Kasdan uh, had previously written... The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, he did Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Man is a Fucking Genius. The film stars Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Anthony Daniels, and Peter Mayhew all reprising their roles as our friends from back in the day. And new to the Star Wars universe, Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, and a handful of other super talented people. Yeah. The casting of this film, you know, I think was such a a statement that was needed for the Star Wars franchise. For sure. First female lead, first female protagonist in Star Wars ever. And so Finn being a person of color and and being cast as this like, you know, breaking out hero role. I think that's something cool that that was, you know, about this film too, was the diversity of the cast. The world is diverse. So is the galaxy. Yeah, agreed. And I think it was very well depicted in this film. For sure. I also love that we have a handful of previously totally unknown actors starring in this film. And you know, that throws back to the original casting concept behind Star Wars with A New Hope. George Lucas, you know, how much he wanted everyone in the film to be a complete unknown. Right. Bringing Alec Guinness in was like pulling teeth, I'm, I'm pretty sure, for him. If yeah, he was, uh, he was the studio's safety net, basically. Yeah. Also, throwing back to the original films, uh, the entire Skywalker saga, for that matter, we, of course, have the brilliant John Williams Returning to score this film as well. Man. My favorite musician of all time. I don't even know where to start. That's a whole episode that we should do I was in, about to in say. itself, like a sidebar episode on the scores of John Williams. Moving on just with these credits, two hours and 18 minutes runtime for this film, rated PG-13 for, quote, sci-fi action and violence. Uh, only the second Star Wars film to receive a PG-13 rating following Revenge of the Sith. And we were very intrigued by that when yeah. at first. I remember talking about that, about what could it be that's giving it that rating. In hindsight, um, like, I, I don't know. Well, I think that it is more menacing. It is more fear-inducing, especially, and this is something that I think so many people forget, these movies are also made for children. Right. We were children. That's what made us fans. Yeah. And so I think the idea that the villain is a bit more menacing, you're opening with stormtroopers blasting an entire village of people, there's your PG-13 rating. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that's heavy for a young audience. Right. You know, he, he says kill them all before he walks back onto the ship, and yeah. that may be it. It's one thing to uh, blow up an entire planet, and it's just an explosion in space. It's another thing to see boots on the ground mowing down a bunch of villagers with fucking laser blasters. Yeah, and the blood. Yeah. You know, and so you see Finn 
experiencing the fear he was experiencing in his first combat mission and like having a, a fellow trooper dying and putting their blood on him. It's like a scene from a war movie right there. Yes, yes. It's That's more Saving Private Ryan than Cantina to me. Right, right. I, I think that whole sequence, though, I think the opening sequence of The Force Awakens is where the rating was established. All right. Moving on with stats and credits here. This film had an estimated $245 million budget, uh, according to IMDb, and grossed $247, $247 million. Wow. Opening weekend. Wow. Highest grossing opening weekend of all time at that point. Uh, grossed $936 million total in the U.S. Unreal. Estimated at this point, um, just over $2 billion worldwide. That's a pretty good return on your investment. Yep. It's you know? a few bucks. But man, that is a, that's a lucrative outing at the box office. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 86% audience score, 7.9 on IMDb, 81 on Metacritic. And obviously, very well-loved film on the fan level, but not so much love on the awards side. Were you expecting? Maybe visual effects, I would have expected some wins. Right. But from a film like, you know, Best Actor or Best Picture... That's an interesting topic because for as huge as Star Wars is and as much clout as it has for being one of, if not the most world dominating franchise of entertainment of all time, I don't think it garners the respect of best picture nomination, no matter what. Not at all. And there, I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had about the Academy and how there's just this bias against comic book films, yeah. sci-fi, uh, fantasy and shit like that. Right. It was, uh, was nominated for best original score, best sound editing, best sound mixing, Best film editing and best visual effects. But it won none. It won zero. Zero. Did win some MTV Movie Awards, though, for anyone <laughs> who cares about that shit. It won Movie of the Year. Well. Uh, breakthrough Performance, Daisy Ridley. Best Villain, Adam Driver. So, I mean, they're not wrong. No, they're not. But you put, you put Star Wars, you know, firmly in the pop culture category as far as its effect on pop culture. And yeah. it's going to be more, as much as I don't enjoy the fact, more MTV Movie Awards. If if we're saying that the MTV Movie Awards sort of celebrate pop culture and film in pop culture, right? At least that was probably the initial concept of doing it. Yeah. Was let's do an awards show that's a little more focused on everyday pop culture, and it's not quite as a highbrow, not so fucking snooty, highfalutin. Yeah, and and I could be wrong, but I want to say that the MTV Movie Awards are fan. The fans have a say or a vote. Yeah. So what better place for a Star Wars film to live in an awards show than one where the fans could vote? True that. So wrapping up these stolen plans here with a last little detail, the film was shot almost entirely on 35 millimeter film, which I was super pumped about. J.J. Abrams uh, famously at this point is one of the few directors left actually shooting on film. They, they used a, a Panavision camera, supposedly a, a, a smaller one. It's a little more mobile that they also had custom painted Panavision uh, hooked it up for them, painted all black. They nicknamed it the Death Star. Super cool shit. They also got some custom lenses made by Panavision, custom anamorphic lenses. That's another J.J. Abrams trademark, anamorphic lenses. Uh, mm -hmm. Somehow softer in some ways. I, I read, I don't know the exact details, but um, he was really going for a, a look that would kind of bridge the gap between the old and the new. Yeah, I think having the smaller camera was a deliberate thing to say, I want the film to look like the old movies, yeah. but I want the vibe to feel a little more contemporary for sure i mean i can't begin to imagine the amount of responsibility this dude felt the amount of responsibility on his shoulders spanning multiple generations responsibility to himself as a fan i mean ultimately the dude set out to make and had the responsibility to make a film 
that would make the viewer feel like a kid again. And, and to him, the most obvious way to do that and give us something familiar uh, that would honor the original films was to start by meeting a new character in the desert and end in space with a trench run. Those were the bookends. And then the real challenge was to make a movie that looks and feels like it does in our nostalgic hindsight as as adults with impossible expectations. And honestly, I think he did that. I think he killed it. And that's what I love most about the movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm watching it right now. And dude, the scene just outside of Maz's cantina, like when the when the X-Wings are coming across the lake. Yeah. And there's like this one kind of long continuous shot that just happened of X-Wing in pursuit of a TIE fighter that breaks up and crashes into the beach. And then this wall explodes into all these stormtroopers. And it's just one fluid shot. And it's just, um, dude, the cinematography in this film was, it was so good. And dude, fucking beautiful. I, I remember when they announced that he was directing this film, I, yep. I was fucking ecstatic. Yeah. I couldn't have been more stoked. Did you feel like you knew it before they announced it, even though there was no leaks or anything? Do you remember feeling like, you know who's going to direct that movie? J.J. Abrams. Right. Yeah. Like, he's the person. I remember thinking that. Yeah. And most importantly to me, though, was he wasn't just directing. He, he was, it was going to be his story. And that, right. to me, was like, okay, we're, we're in good hands, you know? And it's, yeah. it's so perfect and funny knowing how much Star Wars stuff he kind of just sprinkled into Lost. Like the scene with Hurley when they go back in time and he's he's rewriting uh, Empire. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's it's all over the place there. And you can see actually you can see little kind of like trademark J.J. Abrams shots like the uh, that long tracking shot after like towards the end of the battle. They're out in front of Maz's place when Finn's running to the ship. Yep. When Kylo's got Ray. I'm almost there, by the way. That's about to happen. <laughs> Dude, so good. That tracking shot right there really that's that's his shit that's his uh the from the lost pilot yeah that long tracking shot of jack running really characteristic yeah stylistic choices there but still so star wars yeah. you know nothing about it feels like a different type of movie it's just a, it's a modern movie it's cut faster it's it's made for modern audiences but he knew how to hit all the right notes to make it feel i think that's a, like star wars in the in the most genuine way i think that's a good point to a good thing to point out too is the editing and the pacing of this film and going back and um rewatching Empire of Dreams and learning again about how the films were made. The editing of A New Hope was such a problem at the beginning. Right. I mean, he straight up fired that guy. I'm pretty sure that George Lucas's wife was working on a Scorsese film and she had like a break for two weeks and he brought her in to help because they were just up against the wall. And the editing saved the film in the end because apparently it was a dumpster fire before he made these changes. And the pacing and the editing of, of The Force Awakens is, is aggressive in, in, a, in the best way. I mean, you just feel like this film is trucking, you know, it's moving along. Yeah. There is not a point where this is stagnant, where you're, you're not eager for the next piece of information or the next sequence, you know, it just, I mean, editing is everything at the yeah. end of the day, but it, but it, but at the same time it holds when it needs to, Yeah, you know, it makes you sit there in the moment when it really needs to. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here right now watching Han and Leia see each other for the first time. You know, and it's yeah. just hold, it. Chewie walks in, same frame, just holding this wide shot of the two of them standing outside of the ship for long enough to let it settle in. Like that, oh my god, there they are, you know. And then Chewie walks into frame too. It's just, it's everything is so rad and thought out to make us as fans get excited about being back in Star Wars again. That's what the Force Awakens really was for me. It was this overwhelming feeling of excitement that we were back in the universe. We were back in the galaxy far, far away. 
Speaking of welcoming us back and getting everyone stoked again, let's talk about the trailer and maybe do a quick recap on our no spoiler pact. Yeah, for sure. So like we talked about in the intro episode, you and I had this no spoiler pact with Ryan Mendez from Yellow Card and my friend Samir from Flyleaf. And the idea was to have the most traditional, pure movie going experience possible with this first new film. So no watching the trailer online, no spoilers online. The only exceptions were we could see the trailer in a theater. We could see the movie poster in person, but that was it. Old school. Yeah. Yeah. My trailer viewing experience was, it was not great. (laughs) Well, it was great once I saw the fucking thing, but uh, my wife actually just reminded me the other day of this. We, you know, we, because of the pact, we waited to see it in theaters. And because I forgot about this, they, they released that first teaser in like, just a small handful of theaters. And the closest one to me was Kansas City. So I didn't get a chance until May of 2015 when the Avengers Age of Ultron was out. That's where they were playing the trailer. So we found that out, picked a theater. My wife called ahead of time to make sure that they were showing the trailer because I honestly, I probably wouldn't have gone to see that movie if not for the trailer. She doesn't care much about Marvel movies and things. So we went expressly, specifically to see the Star Wars trailer, so. A testament to what an amazing woman you've married. For real. And that's the other thing. She didn't grow up on Star Wars. She's not a huge fan, but she gets so much joy out of seeing how stoked I get. Yeah. That it has become like a, a cool experience for her. And I've got Star Wars sweatpants and robe and fucking soap and everything that she gets <laughs> me like on every occasion. So it's awesome. So we go to see the movie. We see it in 2D because... Hello. Um, and we sit down. First trailer rolls. It's not the Star Wars trailer. Second trailer, still not it. Third one, still not it. But I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be last. We sit through a total of eight trailers. Well, yeah, because nowadays your, your 7.30 movie starts at 8.15. <laughs> right. right. And as it's going, I'm like, really? Because, you know, once it hit like six trailers, I'm like, there's no fucking way there's going to be another one. And finally, after eight, there wasn't. And the movie started. And I was like, I just sat back in my seat like, you got to be fucking shitting me. <laughs> no trailer. Um, so I think she actually left during the movie and went and talked to customer service. and was like, what the fuck? She would. She would. It, it turned out that they were only showing it in certain, like on certain screens at that theater. And most of them were 3D or whatever. So they actually ended up comping us tickets. And we, I think right after that or later that evening just went in, watched the trailer in a different, on a different screen, and then bailed. So I got to see it the same day. But after all the waiting with all the pact and that <laughs> moment, you sat down in the chair to be like, yeah. all right, my ass is in the seat. These were the rules. I obeyed the rules, and now I'm <laughs> finally free. And no, you were still a caged consumer Yeah, in that and moment. And dude, and it, it was Age of Ultron. It wasn't fucking <laughs> Infinity War or something. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I remember thinking like, did that movie suck or was I just pissed off? It's not the best one. Yeah. That's just not even, I mean, yeah. topic for another time, but it's not. What, uh, I think I know the answer to this question because you and I are friends. You've told me this before, but for our lovely listeners, what day was it? It was May the 4th, 2015. Well planned. Yeah. The force is strong with you. Force is strong in my family. <laughs> so it all worked out. Um, and I actually, I rewatched the trailer today because I've, seen so many like just going back and just watching so much stuff lately with this new movie coming out and kind of relived the whole thing and 
dude, it's such a great trailer. I forgot that that version is the one where Mark Hamill says that line, the force is strong in my family. And I don't know if he re-recorded. I mean, I, he had to have re-recorded that. It sounds like older Mark Hamill maybe like pitched up to sound younger. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Point being, it was fucking awesome. So what about you? What do you remember? I have a picture of me watching the first trailer for the first time. That's dope. Um, but I don't, I don't remember what movie it was attached to. The thing I was most bummed about was not that I wasn't going to be able to watch the trailer on my phone. That sounds terrible anyways. Right. I, mean, I, I hate the concept of film on four and a half inch screens. It drives me insane. But I, I, that wasn't what I was bummed. I, was, I think I was struggling more with not being able to dive into like reading about the process of the film being made and yeah. things that we're talking about now. That, that was what I was excited about. When, when you tell me J.J. Abrams is writing and directing the film, you know, I want to know all about it. And then there were a couple of little things that came out before we made the pact you know, that I did know about, like him casting unknown actors and, but then not being able to find out who the actors were, you know, cause like right. they hadn't released their names yet, but I just knew that that's what he wanted to do. And then uh, I had seen something, I think about him using, you know, him wanting to use practical effects in the film and not, not have it be a CGI mess. You know, I was um, actually, I was excited not to know anything. Um, mm-hmm. just because I, number one, I, I guess the, the last two, well, episode two and three, I was a member of the Star Wars fan club. I was getting you know, the, the club magazine, seeing every little bit all along the way. And I think that helped me enjoy those movies more. But with The Force Awakens, I was so stoked to walk in completely cold, having seen only the trailer months ago. And I didn't want to learn anyone's name until it was set on screen. You know, it was just like a, you know, a cool opportunity. So yeah. the only downside of that for me was that I was so in my head about like, oh God, oh, it's Harrison Ford. Is he doing Han right? Is that Peter Mayhew in there? Or is that a different guy? Is he moving right? Is that Chewy? Oh God. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like anxiety that I didn't like fully soak it all in until the second viewing. I, I loved the first viewing, but I didn't fully like experience it until that anxiety kind of subsided. I think that's natural for being the fanboys that we are, though. That yeah. The first time, I mean, I, I definitely had that experience with The Last Jedi, for sure. I think more than The Force Awakens. I don't know why that would be that the first one wouldn't have been more impactful as from an anxiety standpoint. But the second time watching Last Jedi, I was just a lot more of it settled in. Yeah. I think part of that, too, though, is reminding yourself that these films are made for children. Right. The real thing about Star Wars is it captures the imaginations of young people, at least... I know that's what George Lucas wanted to do with it in the 70s when he had the idea because he grew up watching, you know, Flash Gordon and all, all the 30s right. sci-fi epic TV movie stuff that he grew up watching in black and white. Uh, he wanted to, to create that. So the second time you watch them, I think as an adult, you're able to filter out the stuff that immediately filter out the stuff that you already know. You're like, OK, this scene is coming. I already know how I feel about it. Right. Instead of letting it ruin the experience for you. Focus on the stuff you do like, the stuff that did move you, the stuff about the original story that's carried into this that's like an Easter egg here or an epic reveal there. And if you watch it that way, it's a totally different experience, or at least it was for me. For sure. Was there a moment in the trailer for The Force Awakens, the first time you saw it, that just blew your mind? Nothing like earth shattering. It was more just like things that just ignited all of the nostalgia, just got all the hairs on my arms standing up, you know, just got me choked up. Just seeing that that crashed Star Destroyer in the desert, that big, beautiful wide shot was just like, oh, fuck, we're back. We're here. Yeah. Just so stoked. Then, of course, Han and Chewie walking in the Falcon for the first time in however long. But that's the big one, you know? 
I think for me, it was a visual. It was a, it was it was similar to your reaction to this the crash star destroyer. It was a big visual stimulation, like a, a moment of of just wonder of like the shot being a self-proclaimed war history fanatic. I listen to a lot of podcasts about war history and military stuff. It's really boring. And everyone's like, how do you listen to that stuff? But I do, I do it. So the shot on Starkiller Base, man, where where they just, you know, the stormtroopers were lined up in columns. And again, it had that sort of Third Reich vibe. Yeah, that World War II Nazi rally kind of evil, just this inherent evil. Because you're going, okay, what's going to be the new, what's going to be the dark side in the new movies, you know? And right. it just was one shot made you go, oh, it's that. It's like this super evil regime. And he just, he got it in one shot. And so it was the combination of all those stormtroopers just being like, oh my God, they're the same as you said, like, we're back, we're back. But I just remember that shot, you know, with, with the banners and hucks and, and it just, it was crazy. Good shit. And we had waited to see it because of the pact. And that was just, it was epic. I remember us texting like the next, we saw it similarly at the same time and we're just like, dude, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it was great. So where were you, uh, first time you saw the film in its entirety so it was my birthday it was literally december 17th which is my birthday at midnight going into the 18th release and i was home at my house in franklin tennessee i had several friends and and people fly in to do the experience with me and uh i went to the amc theater in franklin tennessee and and i wasn't in the theater for this part but apparently it was like violent like it wasn't assigned seating. And so oh, the fact dude. that a couple of my friends were in there earlier than everyone else and we were in the line to get in there and yeah. they were like, our friends are coming to sit here. Apparently it was like almost came to blows with people, Oh, dude. Uh, which I'm glad I wasn't there for that part. I feel bad for my friends that had to experience it because it certainly like set off the whole experience and the you know, bad vibe. But I got in and everything was fine. And I just remember every second of it, man, like sitting down and when it started the, the, the music team had started. It was just the Lucasfilm logo, and the whole place was fucking standing up and cheering. Like it was right. It was awesome. And there were so many moments in the movie that first time where I think any other film in the world, I would be like, really, everyone, shut up. Right. But there were so many moments where everyone would like, fuck yeah, you know. Right. And it felt right. It was like, yes, we should be yelling in the theater at this. Yeah. Like it was so triumphant feeling. I remembered it clearly. So this was. It being my birthday, being with so many people I like loved, close friends and family, it, it just, it was the best, dude. I, I got the best Force Awakens experience that I think you could ask for. Short of like watching it with the cast or something like that. Yeah. I, I had the best experience. That's dope. What about you? I saw it at home in St. Louis, uh, just my wife and me. Like I said, she isn't the biggest Star Wars fan, but she loves having the experience with me and I, I love having it. With her. So we uh, went to a theater called Chesterfield Galaxy. I think it was an AMC at that point. Maybe not. But that's the theater where I saw episode three on opening night and then with my nephew and then with my dad because it was the biggest theater. They had this mega screen. At the time, it was the biggest one before we had a few IMAXs and stuff. So it was cool to go back and see this one there as well. And it was a pretty traditional movie going experience as well because this was before assigned seating was a pretty standard thing. So I went way ahead of time and sat in line with like noise canceling headphones on to make sure I didn't hear anyone talk about anything on the way out. Yep. Because you remember the, um, there was a dude who, I don't know where this happened, but there was an arrest. There was a hospital visit, 
a dude comes out of the theater somewhere and just goes, well, fucking Han died. Yeah, I did. I do and remember somebody that story. proceeded to beat the shit out of him and go to jail. <laughs> well, okay, what other film franchise has that? Name it. I'll wait. There isn't one. Like, a dude got beat up <laughs> for... Yeah. Giving a spoiler about the film walking out. I mean, that, that is like, it's just on another level. And like, I don't condone that at all, but it just goes to show you, you know, what these, what these movies do to people. You yeah. know, it's like, it's done to me, but I don't think I would fight anyone. I've never been in a fight. I haven't officially either. I've been around them, like on the outskirts, but I know, I know what I shouldn't do. And fighting is one of them. We're pacifists. <laughs> so, uh... How many times did you see it in the theater? I actually don't. I, I don't remember. I, I, it has to be four or five. Has to be. Yeah. In the theater. I saw it three or four. Yeah. I think it's around that for me too. But it's just the thing about these is I'll just, I mean, I'll either go again just by myself or mm-hmm. any chance I have someone who hasn't seen it yet. I'm in. Yeah. Same. You know. Uh, did you see it in IMAX? I did. But that was when I had to see it in 3D though. Oh, word. Which was not great. So I guess. I, I mean. So I have a really nerdy anti-3D thing because I wear glasses every day. So like, and especially when I go see a film, I have to have my glasses on. I'm not like blind, but it's annoying. It's just kind of fuzzy. So I wear my glasses. Right. And 3D glasses are the worst thing for that because it doesn't look quite right anyways, but it also, right. they hurt because it's like yeah. all this weight on your face during the film. Yeah. So I'm not a fan. So it was cool. IMAX, you know, it was like Starkiller Base looked amazing in IMAX, but... Yeah, my my nose hurt. Yeah. (laughs) I think I saw it in IMAX just to do it. Yeah, same. And my wife got tickets at the Science Center here, actually, in St. Louis that has a a dope IMAX theater. They may still have the whole film set up as well, 70 millimeter film setup. It's like one of the few if it's still there. I would have loved to seen it here in Los Angeles at the Dome, at the Arclight in Hollywood. Cinerama. Yeah, they do 70 millimeter on that screen all the time, and it would have been very cool to see. What about like, did you have, you know, sort of an, like an overall feeling of, of what you took away from it, you know? Yeah. I mean, right out of the gate, the, the Star Destroyer eclipsing that planet, mm-hmm. we go straight down to the surface of that planet. And the first character we meet, as soon as I see Poe, it just felt right. Yep. And that continued throughout the rest of the film. But right off the bat there, I didn't question it at all. I, I think him being a new character, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Who is this? This dude looks cool. Who's this old guy? This guy's interesting. The dialogue was like so familiar yep. and just like spot on to me, written with like class and kind of that like classical grammar and style that that we know from Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan. And I just, that line about Leia right there just like got me. I was just, I was just hooked, you know? When Poe refers to her as uh, general. Yes. And Laura Santeca says, general to me she's royalty Dude. and i just like got all the fucking feelings right there so, <laughs> so good yeah i was hooked then bb8 comes bursting in instantly the sounds and his mannerisms i was like oh i fucking love this guy too you know yeah fully on board and then they get out there shit's hitting the fan kylo ren walks out as the most badass villain we've ever seen in star wars agreed and it's just like hit after hit like they're just coming out swinging like a band who's been on the road for a year and they're a fucking <laughs> yeah. well-oiled machine and just every song like, yeah. And when he, you first hear Kylo's voice with that fucking, we'll call old. Yeah. We call yeah it's got that like lo-fi kind of telephone I'm just sound. Like, Damn, this dude's so badass. I liked how you didn't know, you know, what the mask meant. 
yet. And you right. didn't know that it was as much of a uh, act of impersonation that it ended up being, you know, for him. But at the right. time, it was just what? Is, what is this? What's wrong with his face under there? And when he freezes that blaster bolt right there, it was one of those things that that felt new and could be like, oh man, I don't know if you, I don't yeah. know if the force can do that. But I didn't feel any of that. I was just like, oh shit, this dude's next level. And I was just like, I, I mean, I typed in my notes here, all caps, all bold, Kylo stopping blaster bolt. Fuck yeah, unlimited yeah. power. <laughs> yeah, you know that was that was like I think. Again, just JJ nailing it. He just nailed it. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as bringing you back into the world of the Force and Star Wars, and just going like, "This is how powerful it is." Rem- yeah. Remember, and not just that. This is how powerful the dark side is, and yeah. then you're just immediately thrown into that. Fuck yeah, dude. Let's talk about all the new characters for a little bit. Let's get into these. So, in this new story, we have our new protagonist Daisy Ridley playing Ray. We've got John Boyega playing Finn. He's a defecting stormtrooper. First one of those we've seen ever. So that's something new. Uh, but we see the familiar stormtroopers again, hearkening back to um, a new hope, bringing us something familiar, but something new. We've got Poe, sort of a Han Solo kind of vibe there, snarky, witty kind of character. Those three end up being this amazing trio, just like we had in the original films, that tight knit friendship that develops over the films. And We've got a new droid, BB-8, cutest goddamn little droid in the galaxy. We've also got a new sort of evil force. The First Order from the ashes of the Empire grew the First Order. And at the head of this First Order, uh, General Hux, the lead bad guy, almost the uh, the Tarkin to uh, Kylo's Vader. But the big bad, the ultimate, sort of uh, playing the Emperor role, uh, we have Andy Serkis playing Snoke. The Heavy. The heavy. I just watched Once Upon a Time Hollywood again. He's playing <laughs> <Yeah>. heavy. <laughs> um, Supreme Leader Snoke. We get him in this big bad fucking hologram. Andy Serkis doing uh, that um, amazing motion capture performance that he does. You know, very mysterious vibe too, just like uh, the originals with the Emperor. Um, then a handful of other actors doing some motion capture stuff and things like that. Uh, Lapita Nyong'o, is that how you say her name? I mean, I think... We could definitely mess that up, but that was probably really close. Playing uh, Maz Kanata, awesome character who's a fucking trillion years old. Uh, we'll talk about her in a little bit. Gwendolyn Christie uh, from Game of Thrones, right? Playing yes. Captain Phasma, another one of the, the big bads. The Chrome Stormtrooper that ends up being Finn's kind of nemesis. She's the boss lady. The boss lady. So we've got this awesome cast of new folks supporting, um, or not supporting, they're the leads in this new story but we're tying up the stories from uh, the original Star Wars trilogy. And it's, uh, man, I'm, I fucking, I, I couldn't be more stoked about the characters or, or the casting for these characters. I think they just fucking nailed it. I agree. I think that, I think that the contention over whether or not, you know, this was a remake or a remix of A New Hope is just the classic example of people wanting something to hate this, right. in this day and age. because. If you're going to write this movie and expect it not to have fan service like that in it, then I'm not sure what franchise you've been a fan of. Right. I mean, seeing that triumvirate of, of characters, like, they're not exactly the same. You know, I mean, in the original trilogy, Leia was obviously 
in, in a completely different way as the female ingenue role, played a totally different role than Ray plays as the female ingenue in this, you know? It is right. different. It is new. It is refreshing. But giving you that familiar dynamic of the three characters and, and how they play off of each other, to me, sitting in, you know, ass in the seat watching the film for the first time, that's part of what made it just feel like coming home to me, you know? Yeah. And I feel this familiar, but fresh, it, familiar, but fresh. And I feel the same way about the antagonists as well. You know, you put it perfectly. I mean, Hux is, is the Tarkin and, and Ben is Vader and Snoke is the emperor, but none of them are like having the knowledge pretty early on, you know, that Ben is a Skywalker. I mean, that changes the whole game of, Dar- of Darth Vader, you know, for right three hours however long you know three and a half hours of the first trilogy you have no idea who Darth Vader is you know um so I don't know I just I think people want to hate stuff and I and I'm excited about our mission to do this podcast about the stuff that we love and not that we're not going to pick apart some of the things we, we you know the gripes we have but I like the positive energy in this whole thing that we're doing as far as like you know what I love Star Wars and I love these characters and I love J.J. Abrams and sorry agree to disagree with the trolls, you know, dude, there's a, a fucking a great meme. It's a prequel meme. I will have posted it by the time this is out <laughs> about loving all the films. It's a good one. But uh, on the idea that we want something that makes us feel like the old films, but then we complain about it being too much like it. But then if you go further and try to get bold with it, people hate that, too. Like there's no middle ground. There's just too many fucking fans in the world. Well, to all be pleased. Well, it's very comparable to making music you know which is you know as well as anyone and i know as well as anyone as as an artist in a band um or or just a songwriter or whatever in that capacity you make that record that breaks the band out and people fall in love with and then if you make one just like it they're gonna say it sounds exactly the same as the last one but if you make something that pushes the boundaries they're gonna say i don't know this isn't the band i fell in love with who who are you and right. what, what are you doing it, and the inability to focus on the majority, which are the people who like just like the music you're making, and the hyper-focused attention that we tend to give to the people who don't like it is the problem, you know? Right. And like guilty as charged, like charging myself with that. Like, um, And I think that this whole final trilogy of films as we get through them is, is it's just – it's such a victim of that where you're just seeing you're, you're really seeing just the people that are just tearing it apart for what it isn't. And I just I don't know why. Why be like that? Like, here's what I'd say. I would rather us just not do podcast episodes about the prequels than sit here and tell you all the things I don't like about the prequels. Right. If we're going to do those episodes, man, I'm going to watch those movies and I'm going to find every last thing that I like about it. So that we can talk about yeah. the good stuff. Yeah. Because I just think that's important, man. And I, I, I left the theater after watching The Force Awakens wanting to turn around and walk right back in and watch it again. And I think that's just because I went into it, you know, not expecting it to reimagine what Star Wars means to me. I expected it to reinvigorate my love for Star Wars, which is what it did. Right. And these new okay. characters were such a huge part of that. And their familiarity and their resemblance of the original trilogy is also what did that for me. If it didn't do it for you as a listener, you know, it's not going to work for everybody. But for me, that familiarity is actually what made me love the film so much. Same. And Kathleen Kennedy, actually president of Lucasfilm, was quoted. I'm not going to get this quote exact, but she made an analogy to music like we're doing. You've got a favorite band. 
you've been a fan of them for 30 years. They've got a new album. It's great. Maybe you're, you're taking your kids to the show, right? You're seeing them stoked to hear the new stuff because you like it. But if you leave that show without hearing the hits, you're going to be pissed. You know what I mean? Even you're if you're for a the diehard fan. If you're a diehard right. fan that listens to every single new song, every B-side, every remix, every collaboration that an artist puts out, you may be excited to hear those new ideas at a show. But Fairweather fan or diehard fan, yes, you're, you're going to leave that show feeling a little bit off if, you know, that one song, those two songs, whatever they are, or, I mean, if you're like a, a Pearl Jam, those 18 songs <laughs> weren't played. You know, so yeah. I think that that's such an amazing insight from her, you know, for all the flack she gets for being at the helm of, of these new Star Wars films from fans who pick them apart. I mean, and I'm all for criticism. I get it. Like, go in and, and analyze and talk about the things that work and don't work for you. I just think that, like, the extreme level of, for lack of, I, I don't think that there is a better word, just like hatred that's out there. It's like, it's not cool. It's a bummer. And I think that's such a, as I said, incredible insight of hers to be like, look, what did you expect us to do? Right. We are, we're playing a concert for arguably the biggest fan base on the planet. What are you expecting here? And I, I like that. I like that she said that a lot. Fucking A. All right. Let's get into the meat of this thing and talk about some of our favorite moments, our favorite tidbits about the film. Anything just like right there for you that you knew you wanted to talk about as soon as we had this idea definitely i'm um, so many so it's you got to pick your battles right or else these episodes are going to be four hours long uh, but i think there's been contention over how important supreme leader snoke is to the story yeah where he comes from what is he what you know and i want to say that i walked away from the force awakens so much more moved by and interested in kylo ren than supreme leader snoke that i think i'm gonna get shit for this i don't care yeah. I, don't, I really don't care like, yeah. like I, uh, he, it served the purpose of Kylo didn't come from nowhere. He was influenced heavily by someone who was super strong with the force and subscribed to the dark side, but he's not the story. Kylo's the right. story. Just the same as the first order is kind of just a giant MacGuffin. Yeah. Something bad happened and now there's a new villain. Yeah. Let's get into the people that matter in the story. Yeah. But to your point, I didn't react in a bad way to that to the first order either. I just went in and I I'm enjoying a film, which is you're suspending disbelief to a certain degree anyway. So you just go, okay, this is the story where we are 30 years later. Like they blew up the Death Star at the end of Return of the Jedi. They didn't blow up the entire empire. Right. There were fleets of ships everywhere in the galaxy, as there would be in a practical, you know, warfare encounter here on planet earth in reality you wouldn't annihilate every person in the enemy's forces in one fell swoop you know it's yeah there's still 96 year old nazis being found exactly exactly <laughs> so on earth right so so i just think that my biggest takeaway from the force awakens i think is um is kylo ren's story i just think i, I was for sure i was most intrigued by his story and his character and how imperfect and conflicted uh, you know it immediately reminded me of the anakin story so much like you can the, the the whole concept that i think is so brilliant in star wars that the the light and the dark that's in all of us you know that that's one of the right. things you take away from from these films and this story that kylo is is wrestling with that from the minute you meet him i mean he just it's like well not maybe not the minute you meet him because when he when you first see him and, and he and he 
is is taking Poe into custody. You know, it's but pretty early on, you you can tell he is struggling. So I think his story leading to the obvious massive moment in the film, and I'm sorry, I don't want to take this away from you if, if this is where you were going to go, but is, is him killing his father and Han Solo dying. Yeah, absolutely. More so, than f- sorry to cut you off, but that's a big one. So let's let's talk about that and move on to the next segment, which is I Love You, I Know, and talk about our favorite scenes. I love you. I know. So I have on my list, uh, I've got Han saying it's all true all of it the fucking that tearjerker of a moment goddamn so good man kylo interrogating ray in starkiller base ray's vision in maz's basement which is before that right uh it would be yes yeah right before kylo killing han solo his dad fucking brutal um and then ray and finn versus kylo ren in the forest at the end as starkiller base is collapsing yes oh and of course the ending the cliffhanger ending Anything I missed here? No, I, I think we we agreed that those are really the highlights. Yeah, I I've gone, there are a few scenes in this movie that I I don't love, but those are the standouts for sure. For me. I've gone online to search the quote, the "It's all true" quote, so many times to make sure I don't fuck it up. Right? Maybe it, um, it's not better than "Do or Do Not." There is no try, but it's close, dude. It's it's I'm gonna give it to you right now. The whole thing. Crazy thing is. It's true. The Force, Force the, the Jedi. Jedi. All of it. It's all true. To hear Solo say that with that conviction of like... Han Solo, the cynic. I'm a believer. Yeah. You know, that moment where he just said it with full conviction. I, like, hey, youngins, you need to know I've seen some shit. Yeah. And it's true. And uh, dude, I, I'm, I'm like misty. Oh, dude, yeah. I'd thinking about him saying it right now, like the delivery to Harrison Ford, dude. It was just, it was a magical fucking Star Wars moment. It was magical. It gets me every single time. Like, oh, so good. Yeah, I mean, that's it's just such a great moment. I mean, talk about Harrison Ford in general, just coming back for this film and listeners, whether you know or not, he wanted. Han Solo to die in Jedi. Yeah. He, he wanted to be like placed on the altar and sacrifice himself for something. And George Lucas was like, uh, you're kind of the favorite dude. So no. Yeah. This is a fairy tale <laughs> yeah. ending. So you're not, no. So he didn't. And you know, he comes back to force awakens and is like, JJ, listen, I'll do this, but I gotta die. You know? But I think that said when he, you know, when him and Chewie come onto the Falcon and that scene begin, that whole sequence begins. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he, you know, he's an actor. So maybe he's like inception style, you know, like acting within his acting that he's really enjoying it. (laughs) But I feel like you can just see it in his eyes, man. He's like, dude, yeah, I'm, I'm back in these boots. You know, I'm, I'm back in this jacket. I'm, I'm, I'm in Han Solo's skin again. And it just seemed like it felt like it just fit right back on him, you know? And he's, he's, he's not a young man. Um, and so for him to get in there and bring that energy back to the character was was really cool to watch. The scene, one of the final scenes, I guess, Ray and Finn versus Kylo Ren in the forest, I guess this almost immediately follows him killing Han. So he's got the, the blaster wound from Chewie shooting him, you know, from yeah. up on the balcony. The crossbow blaster. This dude gets hit with that fucking thing that's like <laughs> knocking stormtroopers across the field. Yeah. yeah. So he's dealing with that thing. 
And that shit where he's just he's just punching the wound, you know? Yes, dude. Like I, I, I those are the kind of things as as a granted it's been 20 years since I've done it, but growing up my whole life until I was say 20 years old doing theater and acting and stuff like that's the kind of thing in a film when I always wonder did he just do that or did Abrams jump in and be like ooh what if you because being in a theatrical setting like that it can really go either way like right you can make a choice as the actor do something and the director after you cut or run the scene or whatever's like dude that was incredible right you know or don't you know don't do that <laughs> that was terrible but <laughs> right. also you can be like mid-scene you know and director jumps out of the chair and is like ooh ooh, ooh do yeah what about this and and yeah. then you, you try to you know use their choice you know in in your work but that was just yeah that was such a cool moment and also that moment was as you're digesting this movie and these new characters everything happening for me it was it made me really appreciate adam driver in this role that that was a choice he made where i was like oh dude this guy is he's gonna nail it he's nailing it right and i i, I will definitely i'm gonna let you voice your thoughts on this final battle scene, but I just want to hit on like a couple of things that I immediately remember, like vividly recognizing and identifying as I was watching it. First, that um, made it a point to show that Finn had skills with like a handheld combat weapon earlier right. in the film. So while he's not going to be an expert with a lightsaber, he's nonetheless a fighter. He's been trained. He's a trained soldier. Yes. He's going to pick up the weapon and, and know how to use it. Cause that was a gripe I saw too. And it was like, really that he he's, they show how he would have learned how to use a weapon like that, you know? Right. And he still gets his ass beat. So it's not like right. he knew what he was doing. But most importantly, when Ray gets a hold of the lightsaber, I think two things, one very similarly, um, in, in a choice in the writing, I think they, they demonstrated her ability in, you know, handheld weapon combat with her staff right. very right early bat. on in the film, right off the bat. Yes. But I recognize that. I remember seeing it and going, oh, yeah, she's, you know, obviously very skilled with handheld weapons, melee weapons. But then when it really started happening and she started fighting and you could see like there was like this kind of just raw, visceral fighting spirit. Then there was some anger yeah. in there. Yeah. I started to see that and I recognized what I've talked with many friends and you and everyone about like how people who are force sensitive on the dark side are usually in this, you know, in the story tend to be recognize their skills, use them faster. They want to, they want to get to the end result quicker. That's part of being on the dark side, right? Is the rage and the quickness of it. Right. And so right. they, they try to get to the end of their path faster, become a master faster. And so anyways, I'm watching it going, and I swear, I mean, spoilers ahead now that we've all seen all the films, but I, right. I swear, man, sitting in the theater, I had the thought, I think where this might be going is that Ray is a descendant of Emperor Palpatine. And yeah. the, my very first viewing, I had it in my mind. And, Damn. and I wasn't upset like, oh, I figured it out too early. I was like, if that's what it is, then this is going to be so sick. Because yeah. at her core, she is going to be so torn between obviously she's she's good. You know, she's got the Luke. And I mean, there's so much Luke resembled in her in The Force Awakens as right. far as her spontaneity and her spunkiness and her kind of almost brattiness, you know, as a character sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Stop taking my hand, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, but I just remember watching that scene and, and honestly thinking that, man, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that to like try to make me look like I had it all figured out. I just remember thinking she's ripping with this lightsaber and Kylo Ren is shocked by it. 
I think she's ripping with it because there has to be some insane source of force sensitivity power coming yeah. from some part of her lineage. And I was working all that out in real time of like, well, who could it be? Because if it's someone on the dark side, it just, it has to be that it has to yeah. be something to do with Palpatine. And this is a prequel rewatch requirement. I have to go do as we go through these podcasts, but I swear at somewhere in the prequels and someone can light me up on Twitter or tell me I'm wrong. And I will be happy to learn that I'm wrong, but that they reference Palpatine having handmaidens or something like that I in, mean, the, in the prequels or there's even like, even if they don't, it's like, we'll get into this with the rest of Skywalker, we will. but, it, but I, it's I'm more like, tooting my own horn. Of how about how I yeah. knew she was a Palpatine from the beginning, but, but I'll, I'll say right now and we'll reiterate later with the rise of Skywalker. Of course, the most evil motherfucker in the world is going to have a harem full of fucking concubines and mm-hmm, shit. Mm-hmm. Like, of course. Like, yeah. Ooh, ooh, who did he bang? Like, fucking something yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. I just can't remember if they reference it in in the, if they say something like Handmaiden or something like that in those in the first three movies because uh, I, as hardcore of a fan as I like to say that I am, I have watched each of those prequel movies maybe twice. Oh damn. So yeah, I know, dude. It's extreme for me. I, it's probably too extreme. And I, as I said earlier. In this episode, I'm looking forward to dissecting them with a positive frame of mind and coming back to talk to you about the good things that I take from the prequels. Dude, I I was a full-blown prequel apologist uh, (laughs) at the time because, I don't know, moving on, keeping it positive. Anyways, so Um, that's my thoughts on the final scene in the forest. I Sorry if I like stole all of your shit you were going to say because I covered a lot of it, I think. But I just remember those initial reactions of being really excited about Adam Driver's performance number one, and sort of having an inkling, a feeling um, of of what the Ray story was going to be. Yeah. And the last thing, by the way, last point I'll make on that was as I left the film thinking John Boyega had, has an English accent. He's from England. He's from the United Kingdom. But he spoke with an American accent. Dude, he killed. Daisy Ridley, Daisy Ridley kept her English accent. And that played, yeah. that played to me as far as somewhere in there is part of the lineage. So yeah. which character from the other films that had a British accent could it, was it, you know, was it Obi-Wan? Was it Palpatine? Where was that? And in that scene, I felt, I just, I felt like there's no way, there's not mega dark side in this chick. So. Right. On that dark side thing, uh, going back to Adam Driver, whether or not he made that choice to kind of do the side punching thing, if he did, I feel like that's an amazing understanding of that character to like go there with it. Yeah. That's not just like. Oh, he's an angry kind of fucking hard ass. It's like his, like you said, use of the force, the dark path is that like too fast, too furious route to being a force user. And there's no like focus and introspection and, you know, the kind of shit that leads you to strength from the light side. It's no, I'm just going to beat this out of me. Like I'll use my anger to overcome my own wound as much as I will to try to kill this person, you know? Yeah. So if he just did that on the fly, like, dude. Shout out to him. I know, man. I know. I, I think also something bringing up his character and the dark side and, and sort of that race to the finish line as a Sith or someone who's like who, who gives into the dark side more. His lightsaber has, you know, those two kind of vents on the side that give it that right. almost like Braveheart style broadsword yeah. look because he wasn't ready to build a lightsaber yet. Yeah. And I, I read that somewhere that he, he wasn't. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's like official canon or not, but a theory is that he wasn't didn't have the skills to finish his lightsaber, but he just kind of said, fuck it. And I, I'm going to finish it. And it, because it like couldn't contain 
the power of the kyber crystal properly because he, he hadn't built it right. He had to build, you know, let the vents out on the side, yeah. which is basically what gives it that look. And, and it's all janky and it's got wires yeah, on the yeah. outside and everything. Yeah, it's all yeah. spitty. I love it. I loved it. From the get-go, I was like, that's so Dude, awesome. did you know, do you remember hearing that Johnny Ive from Apple was the one who suggested to J.J. Abrams to make the, the saber all spitty and kind of unstable like that, like the character? I, I did not, but the fact that the two of them just hang out and talk about lightsabers is pretty much nerd porn. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's nerd. Where, when are you guys hanging out again? Can we come? Apple fanboy porn. Right. <laughs> Guilty. Last thing I would say, too, you bringing up the kind of pun, you know punching the, the wound again. I think that was a great piece of writing to allow that scene to happen because obviously Kylo Ren is going to be way stronger in the force and way stronger in his right. saber skills and everything else than definitely Finn, but, but Ray. But I think that that was a great tool to say, well, he's not, a, he's not at a hundred percent. Clearly he's not. I mean, the use of the blood in the snow, you know, that's, that's extreme. Yeah. In that way, dripping like a, like a bullet wound or something. Yeah. You know? That's extreme that's for a star Wars film to show blood in the yeah. snow, you know, kind of thing. And I think that the point of that was to show, to establish that this act, it's not going to be the final fight, but it eliminates that question, which I've still seen people asking or, or debating of how could Ray be that, that much of a match for him that quickly. Right. And I think it's a compound thing, which I find to be great writing that it gives us the mystery of where is she getting this power from? And also the fact that Kylo was injured and there was such a deliberate yet cool way to show that, you know? Yeah. It's his handicap, you know? Exactly. It's like he got to <laughs> playing to, golf or fucking bowling. Yeah. He had to get taped up on the sideline. He had to go in the tent. Right. You know? Yeah. And I love seeing also, like we find out, of course, now we now know that Finn was also force sensitive, but I love just seeing anyone else picking up a lightsaber and fighting with it. Yeah. Like the only other time we had ever seen that or something close to it was Han cutting open yeah. the Tauntaun. That's really the only time like a non-force sensitive person picked up a lightsaber in any of the films, really. And I remember even as a kid thinking like, oh, that's weird how like, he, he shouldn't be holding that. You know, <laughs> yeah. So it's cool to see yeah, somebody didn't, else. He didn't look right in his hand. Yeah, yeah. I thought they smelled bad on the oh, outside. <laughs> um, another scene that I loved that really resonated for me again on a nostalgic level because J.J. Abrams again really knows how to kill on that level was the scene in the basement of Maz Kanata's cantina where Ray has the vision yeah. when she finds yeah. Luke slash Anakin's lightsaber. How did I think we were not even going to talk about this? Like, dude, there you go. So much stuff in there. Like, so much to unpack. Totally. We see in that vision some things from later in the movie, some things from The Last Jedi, some things from The Rise of Skywalker. We hear the voice of Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan, calling to her like, dude, dude, all the fucking emotions. Holy shit. Was it actually Alec Guinness's voice that said that these are your first steps? He just goes, Ray. Oh. Uh, and there was. But, okay. But what about the end? These are your first steps. Was that. Why am I blanking? Ewan McGregor. I don't know. I'm, hold on. I'm looking right now because it's going to tell me. Or is that Alec Guinness? These are your first steps into a larger world from uh, after the, uh, the remote training in the Falcon. Right. But I. But like the way it was said in the vision was these are your first steps. It's like very. Do you know what I mean? Mm, so I think yeah. it was Ewan McGregor was like cat, like they, you, they had him do voiceover for it so that it was Obi-Wan. Uh, okay, hold up. I, I have it right here. The it's you, Ewan McGregor says, these are your first steps at the end. They, they, JJ called him and said, Hey, come in. I need you to do this voiceover. Nice. Ray 
as you said correctly, is Alec Guinness, who was sadly deceased at the time of the filming of The Force Awakens. So how the fuck they do that? Apparently, they took a line from one of the original trilogy films where he said the word afraid with like a long A, and they got rid of the A and the D at the end and made, just made it Ray. Nice. And it's Alec Guinness's actual voice in the film. So May he rest in peace. He'd be like 105 now or something. What a legend. All right. We got to talk about the ending. Yeah. Because this is maybe my favorite ending in all of cinema. Yeah. It, it's a moment. The biggest cliffhanger, literally and figuratively, ever. This, <laughs> I'm just going to, I'll give you the whole thing here. Fuck it. Okay. So. Ray in the Falcon arrives at an island on a planet that we learn outside of the film is called Octo, along with Chewie and R2. It's the island that Kylo Ren had seen when he read Ray's Mind, the island from her dreams. Yep. And it's this beautifully mysterious, awesome landscape of mossy green grass and jagged rocks just sort of like bursting up out of the ocean, you know, surrounded by clouds, fog, other islands. And we follow Ray as she hikes up this mountain. She's she's kind of hiking through these awesome, but small and sort of humble, like ancient structures. And she's climbing to the precipice of this mountain, literally, but she's also bringing us as viewers to the precipice of this story. Yeah. Right? So she, she finally reaches the top. It's this wide shot that then comes in, camera moves in closer on her face. And we see this look that's filled with so many different emotions as she sees something, right? You can see she's seeing something. So then we cut to see what it is. And it's this robed figure, all dirty and tattered and old, facing away, looking off into the distance. We move in on this person. They start to turn. We see their face. And of course, it's Luke. Finally, Luke, the one we've been waiting the whole movie to see, two hours waiting for this moment to finally see Luke. So Ray approaches him, her eyes again, all full of emotion, Daisy Ridley just crushing as usual. Luke pulls back his hood and we see his hand with the blaster mark on it, right? His cybernetic hand fully exposed, just raw. Ray reaches in her bag. She pulls out the saber, Luke's first lightsaber, Luke's father's lightsaber that he hasn't seen since the battle with Vader on Bespin, along with his hand, went down, <laughs> went down the chute to who knows where. Ray extends her arm, and without a single word, she's saying, take this. Help me. You're our only hope. Dude. Right? And we hear John Williams' force theme playing in the background as she just stares, like, so desperately at Luke. She's about to cry. We're all about to cry. Yeah. Luke's looking back at her with... All this conflict in his eyes, seemingly also on the verge of tears. So many emotions. And we cut to a wide shot of the two of them at the top of this mountain. At the apex of this journey, we're swirling around them. The camera's swirling around them. And then Iris wiped to black. Bam, movie ends. Fuck me. Fuck me. Yeah, the, the ending was just mental. And that could have been the end. That could have been like one film, one and done. And I would have, of course, wanted to see what happened after. But it was so perfect that it could have just been over. I agree. I agree. I think that it could have been, okay, well, either Luke comes back or he doesn't come back. But, you know. And just like A New Hope. The journey of that. Yeah, because A New Hope, for all intents and purposes, 
needed to stand on its own because just in case Lucas had the rights to make the sequels, but none, which is a, a another really cool factoid that when he was negotiating with Fox to make Star Wars in the in the time that he started negotiating to when he finished his contract, American Graffiti, his second film, blew up and made a lot of money. And he was originally signed on to get two hundred thousand dollars for Star Wars, <laughs> and the the agent was like, "Don't you think we maybe?" Should get a little more than 200k now that the, the, he's made a, a you know a hit hit film. And Alan Ladd said, "Yeah, I do think so." He was the head of Fox at the time, and he said, "Yeah, I do." But Lucas goes to his agent and says, "I don't want more money. This is what I want." And he took exclusive rights to make the sequels if Fox didn't want them. Right. And merchandising, which we all know that worked out pretty swell for him, because <laughs> no film had ever sold toys and T-shirts the way Star Wars had at that point. Right. But uh, I'm only saying all that because the that film, A New Hope, that started this whole journey, led you and I here to be talking about it over cold beers and glasses of wine. Is that that film should have could have it needed the ability to stand on its own? I right. think that's an, an it's a very self-contained hero's journey. I think that's been a, kind of a through line of this conversation too that we've had about this movie is the similarities in A New Hope and The Force Awakens, and that's another cool one. The Force Awakens absolutely could have stood on its own as the final film. Right. Or just a film. The the story arc was perfect. Everyone's journey was complete at the end. Maybe not in a big picture sense, but in the sense of this particular chapter, you know, it was very complete. For sure. All right. So what's your number one scene? We pretty much uh, uh, did an overview of all, Man, all these five or six. It's so obvious. I'm sorry, everyone. I really hate to be that guy that just puts it out there without even any kind of guessing. Needed, I mean, he just kills Han Solo, dude. And I don't know if you saw it coming. Maybe I was just too caught up in in the moment of them like face to face, and I should have been like, oh, well, obviously he's gonna kill him right here. But the first time, I did not. I wasn't like, oh, this is what's about to happen. And I'm sure there are millions of people that were like, oh, he's walking down the catwalk. This is it. He's gonna die. Yeah. But when that lightsaber lit up. I was, I mean, talking about, talk about man tears. Oh, just, dude, I was fucking crushed. Just pouring down my face. I mean, it, man. Yeah. No, I, I mean, dude, I didn't, I didn't see it coming either. Like for all the shit, all the visual language that they were using there to completely lay it out for us. They're just yep. telegraphing every move. Like, Hey man, shit's going to get weird. Oh, weird. The blue light that's on the one side is now gone. Cause the sun's dying Yep, and everything. It's all red. Still, when it happened, I just I, I grabbed my wife's leg like, oh, my fucking God, like it, it got me. Well, the, like, yeah, the, all, what you're talking about, all the cuts, all the edits in that scene are made where, they, you know, they cut cut to um, Ray and Finn coming in. They cut to Chewie kind of just leaning over the, the railing and sort of like investigating. And it's just, you know what I mean? You're, you're caught up in sort of the movement of the camera and the, and, the, and the sun going down and all that stuff. And then before you know it, it's it happens and it's over. Yeah. It was such a good payoff for that, for for the struggle that you and I went through to not know anything about this movie for the year prior or, or however long it was. Yeah. In, part of that scene, by the way, for me, is not just the interaction between Kylo and Han Solo and the death, which obviously is just jarring. And I hate to say as iconic as I'm your father because nothing ever will be. Right. But if you if you step out and stop trying to compare them because I'm tired of doing that. Like I'm tired of people doing that. Let it let it be what it is on its own. It's as iconic as that, if that makes sense. Right. And yeah. in that moment, Chewie's reaction, dude. Oh, to, dude. 
the the sound that came out of him the you know that that's a body actor you know i mean you're playing yeah. a character without being able to show your face and learning in theater like mask work and stuff like that it's, it's the hardest stuff to do it well and do it right it's it's so hard and so yeah. Chewbacca from the beginning. Hey, Kenny Baker, look happy in that R2. Yeah, and, and all those characters from the, 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 you know, from the Ewoks to Darth Vader from the beginning have, have been, you know, the way they're able to be emotive characters is, is pretty fascinating. But in, in that moment, though, the humanizing of Chewbacca in this trilogy, in the final yeah. trilogy, giving him a real part to play, you know, and real emotions to display and real connections with all of the characters, I think has been a just a huge and and underappreciated aspect of the final trilogy and that moment in particular when he sees han it's not when he sees him falling i mean it's when the lightsaber go, go, you know he immediately yeah. it's just my best friend is that's it this is over yeah and we have to briefly mention and then we'll talk about the redemption in the episode nine episode but how he gets fucking snubbed again at the end of this when uh leia hugs ray yeah instead of yeah. chewy yeah. which was corrected in the novelization or a comic or something, something they corrected that. But JJ even he acknowledged like, oh yeah, we kind of fucking blew it. Right, Chewie didn't get a medal again. Honest mistake. But um, well, well, they definitely rectify it in episode nine, which yeah, which we'll talk about. But but I'm yeah, gonna, I just that that scene will always be uh, you know another one of those massive "I'm your father" moments. Just a huge iconic yeah. scene in Star Wars lore. Fact. Uh, okay, let's see. My favorite scene i'm gonna i'm gonna go a little different direction i i'm torn because on a nostalgic level i don't think anything fucking hangs with the it's all true scene with han yeah man and the ending same thing plus it ties in the new characters it brings those two errors together so it's fucking unreal but as an objective just lover of film i think the interrogation scene i think is my favorite there were two things that stood out to me. I had the surprise that the mask was coming off already. And I remember thinking in the moment, like, oh, this is early. This is weird. It kind of caught me off guard. I never thought about that, actually. I mean, it's interesting you say that, and I agree with you, but I, I, I don't remember having that reaction. That's, that's rad. But it was instantly just squashed by how incredible those two are together and how incredible they are as just artists and actors. It's okay. I feel it, too. Yeah. Like, and the, all the fucking... The, the nuance in their faces, they get to a point where they're not saying a word, yep. but they're saying so much, you know? And you've never really seen a, f- a force battle like that. Right. You've seen people, you know, be the victims of mind control with the force, but you've never seen two two characters in the story that are both force sensitive, like fighting each other with mind control like that. Right. And then seeing seeing the power shift as Ray recognizes the fear in him. She's leaning forward, her you know, everything about her demeanor changes and you see the fear in Adam Driver's eyes, like the genuine fear. Cause that dude, again, seeing those two actors, those two fucking masterful actors go head to head. Yeah. I don't think we've seen anything that on that level in star Wars, maybe ever like that shit. I, I just, agree. It just blew me away. I don't think that two actors in a star Wars film have been given whatever you want to call that opportunity to perform a scene like that before. Yeah. It was definitely unique. Last night, I watched Marriage Story, which is, you know, this film that he just did with Scarlett Johansson that is, I mean, critically just crushing. You know, it's, I mean, I think it's Oscar nom maybe for him and her. I don't know. It's that good, though. And he's that kind of actor. He's, you know, and I, I think we, yeah. we talked about this, but we didn't really see his previous thing. Right. He had this sort of one massive kind of claim to fame 
as a recurring role on this show at that time. And we didn't see that. So, you know, we just saw his ability in this role of Kylo Ren. And right. if you watch the stuff he's done since, I mean, it, he's, he's an incredible actor. He's, yeah. he's going to go down dude as, as like a legend. I, I believe that he's, yeah. he's really good. And he, he was in the military, right? He was a Marine or something. He actually like did some tours in Afghanistan or something like that. So I could see how, I could see how those experiences could be some really powerful, valuable, um, places to go when you need to pull those kind of emotions into a, a performance. Adam Driver signed up and joined the Marines shortly after September 11th and became uh, a mortar man on an 81 millimeter mortar in the uh, weapons company of the 1st Battalion Marines. Oh, shit. So... There you go. He's seen some shit. Thank you for your service, Mr. Driver, both yes. to the Star Wars universe and to our country. Yeah, so there you go. You don't just make that shit up. He's, no. uh, he's pulling from some, some real shit. Yeah. So that's my favorite. And I also just love just in general, all the little kind of Easter eggs. We've got, um, you know, Simon Pegg, not so much an Easter egg, but Simon Pegg, he's there's Uncar Plutt. Yeah, but you would never, is that, that? that is an Easter egg because if you didn't know that, you would never know that that was him right. doing that. Awesome character. Same with, with Daniel Craig being a stormtrooper in, in right. when Ray's being held. And I'll drop on my weapon. Yeah. And I, I, I read that story, I, I believe correctly, that. I'm sure this isn't exactly how it went down, but basically he was like kind of next door shooting a Bond film. Right. And was like giving J.J. Abrams shit like, well, where's my part? And he was like, well, come over. We'll get you fitted. You know, and he just they just threw him in some gear and gave him that scene. And I was like, that must be nice. Just walking over and asking to be in Star Wars and then someone saying, sure, you don't even need to audition or anything. I don't even call your agent. You just come on over. I love seeing Billy Lord, uh, Carrie Fisher's daughter, play a role in these new films. She plays a character called Lieutenant Connix. You see her kind of in the background in the Rebel base in The Force Awakens, and you see her right away pretty much in The Last Jedi in that opening sequence when you get down to the planet, yep. and they're all rushing around getting ready to evacuate. I loved her in Scream Queens. Did you watch Scream Queens? I did not watch Scream Queens. Her season was pretty sick. And I love her more now, especially after having read her. She wrote this piece for Time Magazine about sort of growing up the child of a Hollywood star, you know, like other children of Hollywood stars, kind of had a tough time finding her place in the world and was sort of resistant to the work that her mom did. Yeah. It's an article. It's called um, Billy Lord on Becoming the Keeper of Princess Leia. And it's sort of about growing up and trying to be her own person, trying to understand why people were so obsessed with her mom as this character that wasn't her mom. And finally, not only coming to terms with it, but also really embracing it. And she, um, she has this great quote at the end. She says, I grew up with three parents, a mom, a dad, and Princess Leia. Initially, Princess Leia was kind of like my stepmom. Now she's my guardian angel, and I'm her keeper. Wow. Oh, heavy article. God, I, had, I just bawled through the whole thing like a fucking baby sniffling and fucking huffing. And it's heavy shit. Um, so love seeing her there. I also love like all of the folks they brought back from the original trilogy, like Ben Burt, the sound designer who created all of the iconic Star Wars sounds that we know, the lightsaber sound, the blaster sound, R2's voice, all of that stuff was Ben Burt. And he actually worked on 
all the Skywalker saga films except for The Last Jedi, which is interesting. Wow. Also, Phil Tippett, who was the creature designer slash stop motion animator who created the stop motion figures for the hollow chest set in the Falcon in A New Hope. He did the AT-ATs, the Tauntauns, all of that stop motion stuff in The Empire Strikes Back. So would he would he have been like at, at ILM, yeah. at Industrial Light and Magic, doing those things? Or yeah. was he like more on set working with models and stuff? Both, actually. So he he was hired by ILM during the production of A New Hope and then went on after that uh, to head up the ILM animation department with a guy named John Berg, another face you might recognize from behind the scenes stuff. They co-created this new generation of stop motion that they used in the film. That was a huge breakthrough at the time because to date at that point, all other stop motion looked like dog shit compared. So they developed these techniques to incorporate motion blur into it. They would sort of write as they were about to capture a frame. They would trigger robotically a little bit of motion. So they weren't just taking still frames. The figures were actually moving as they were capturing the frames. So sick. Doug Chang is another one who returned or never left for that matter. He's been around since the 90s. He worked at ILM on some huge stuff. Terminator 2, uh, Force Gump, and then went on to uh, serve as design director for Lucasfilm during the prequels and later became senior vice president of design. So really overseeing everything visual in, in Star Wars and creating concepts. I mean, everything from the parks to the cartoons to the, the new films. I mean, he's got his hands in everything. It's a lot, lot of responsibility. So much of what we know and love about the modern Star Wars era comes back to this dude. Uh, he's a great follow on Instagram. I saw him at Star Wars Celebration do um, like a, a sort of a talk, almost like a like a workshop on how he does concept art. He just had his iPad, Apple Pencil, using Procreate, just mocking up a droid. And like the sweetest dude ever. Also, just like really, hey, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, working on these uh, films. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, really, really cool dude um oh the so the the droid builders club the uh the astromech builders club whatever it's officially called of of fans who have been building r2 units and you know uh astromech droids forever were brought in for the force awakens because they have become over the years like the authority on continuity screen accuracy so and sick. they actually use fan-built R2s in this damn movie. It's so sick, dude. It's such a testament to what what this film, th- these films, this story does for its fans. You know, it's yeah. just crazy. And there's so much generational shit as well. Like, um, you know, you mentioned these films being generational for fans, but even the the crew, like the the one of the senior art directors on this film, Gary Tompkins, his dad, Alan Tompkins, was an art director on. The Empire Strikes Back. So you got a bunch of people. I imagine if you, I mean, if from a technical standpoint like that, if your parent was involved at that level and, and a creative force on Star Wars and, and you inherited that creative energy as a kid, like you would, that's all you would want to do with your life. Is, <laughs> right. I want to do what my dad did. You know, I want to make spaceships yeah. and that has to be such a, such a cool thing to aspire to as a kid. You know, if your dad is the one, the person who was building AT-ATs, like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Not, I'm going to inherit my dad's accounting firm. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
a whole different world. Oh, dude, something we didn't we we didn't mention at all. We talked about it beforehand, but um, so Peter Mayhew, rest in peace. As Chewie in this film had, as a lot of people probably know, a more limited role. He had a double who, from what I can tell, was probably about half and half. Peter Mayhew having, you know, he's had health issues for a long time because of his height and things associated. He had double knee replacement surgery in 2013. He had pneumonia in 2015, spinal surgery. So a young Finnish actor named Jonas Suotamo, probably butchering the fuck out of that last name. But uh, he was cast to fill Chewie's shoes when Peter Mayhew could not. He was uh, advised, coached by Peter Mayhew throughout. So all the, all the running scenes, anytime you see Chewie, like really getting into it action-wise, that's uh, Peter Mayhew's double, the now definitive Chewie and all the rest of the stuff. One of my favorite moments of the last five years on these movies coming out and Star Wars being revived at the level that it has been was Star Wars Celebration this year when the whole cast was on stage and Junis Jonas, however you say it, kind of got his moment on stage. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that, but he just yeah. talked about what an honor it was to step into the shoes of playing Chewbacca. And, and just, it was, it was like, dude, if, if you haven't seen that, just go, you know, Google Junis, however you say his last name, uh, Star Wars celebration and, and watch it. It, 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 it will bring a tear. Something's wrong with you. If it doesn't, it was <laughs> right. heavy, man. It's cool that, Dude, number one, all this new Star Wars shit, these are all fan films now, which is, is funny to think about. Yeah, everyone making them and starring in them yeah. at this point is, is a fan. And Mark Hamill, man, if you follow him on Twitter, Instagram, it's a pleasure to follow him. He's an incredible human being, but just his level of fandom of Star Wars is unprecedented. I mean, he is wears it on his sleeve how proud he is to have played Luke Skywalker. and to share with the world like the joy that's brought him and how grateful he is to have brought that joy to the world playing that character. And it's freaking inspiring. So I would say he would be the last remaining of the old guard, like Harrison Ford. I don't know. Maybe not so much, much. (laughs) but Mark Hamill is a fan, you know, at the very least a true ambassador of Star Wars. And you got to think how many of the, the, in, in comparison to a, a new hope, call it like the first go in the 70s, now The Force Awakens in 2015. Think about how many of even the people running around in the extras in the Stormtrooper uniforms are extra, like, at being an extra because they're so blown away by the fact that they're wearing that costume. Yeah, they're so invested. Whereas in the 70s, you put on the costume, you're like, what is is this plastic suit that I can't even see out of? fucking space movie I'm in? Right? Whereas now it's this iconic... Thing that you're stepping into and i i think that's probably something that makes these film the force awakens feel so great too is that every single person on the set is now a fan as you put it filling these shoes and, yeah. and I, I, that has to count for something big absolutely all right moving on uh let's talk about our favorite quotes and I know we I, completely I mean, buried the lead earlier with the big one the one i gave you the one and it's there isn't going to be a quote from this movie that competes for me with that one right i i hate to ruin the segment i just already said it the han solo it's true quote way earlier so that that's my number one but right. i love this one maz says to ray close your eyes feel it the light it's always been there dude just goosebumps 
Yeah, I, I've I've snuck a few Star Wars quotes into songs that I've written throughout the years, and that's that's one of them. That's dope. But it just yeah, that moment was just so special. And and seeing her, you know, Maz, who's been alive for a thousand plus years, you know, she's got Yoda blood, like she's one of right. the species that Mandalorian. Yeah, fifty year old babies. Well, species aids differently. That's what they say, right? But just her immediately recognizing who Ray is, what Ray is, you know. Right. And that line, yeah, the light, it's always been there. I just love it. That's great. There's a bunch of uh, like kind of goosebump quotes like that for me. I feel them more as moments than I do quotes because it turns out pretty much all three or four of my quotes that I wrote down are all just kind of funny ones. <laughs> One being uh, when Finn says to Han, once he reveals that he has no fucking clue how they're going to get into Starkiller Base for real and he was just a janitor, he's like, we'll use the force. And Han says, that's not how the force works. Delivery. Dude. Delivery. Delivery of Uh, that line from Harrison Ford was legendary. And also early on when Han like clearly knows Finn's kind of full of shit and he's just like bullshitting his way through the thing. You got another problem. And he, uh, yeah, he says, uh, you know, I'm kind of a big deal or whatever. So then Han starts calling him big deal. Listen, big deal. Dude, in that that same scene when he goes, did you just call me solo? Right. That shit's great. I love that. Like, I feel like that's uh, that's an easily forgotten, like, little bit of, like, banter, their relationship right there. So good. Plays so well. Going back to Maz, when they first show up, and she's like... Where's my boyfriend? Chewie's working on the Falcon. I like that Wookiee. I like that Wookiee. Yeah, yeah so, so that's the thing, and I think it's going to be a common through line through all of these three, all of these films. For all the... This was a mistake. Huge. Right. There's there's lines like, that's not how the force works that totally redeem themselves, you know? So yeah. it, it's going to be hit or miss for sure. But there are enough of those goosebump moments and those actually just hilarious moments, you know, and I'll drop my weapon. <laughs> there's a lot of really, really lasting, you know, monumental moments and quotes. Totally. The, the vast majority of the humor in this movie really landed for me. I I thought it was great. I thought it was perfectly in keeping with the tradition of Star Wars being very serious and emotional, but also really fun and yep. kind of witty. So now that we've said all the things we love, or 4% of the things that we love, let's be honest, yep. uh, we could go on forever. Let's uh, move on to disturbances in the Force and talk about some gripes. There is a great disturbance in the Force. I have felt it. I think I can keep mine really brief. I, I, I think just some of some of the kind of on the chin dialogue and it just yeah rubs me the wrong way. Just a few lines in the script, a few attempts at at comedic comic relief to, just didn't land for me personally. The best example I think I can give is when um, Ray and Finn are crawling in sort of the crawl space to to hide from the gangs right. on on Han and Chewie's freighter. And then says, I think the line is, this was a mistake. And she goes, huge. And it was just like, didn't land. Right. You know, it was very cagey, cheesy. There's a few spots of that in The Force Awakens. But like I said, when you go back and watch it and remove yourself from those moments and know that, you know, there are 10-year-olds, there are 5-year-olds watching this movie, you know. And if you can remove yourself from that, then um, I think that there's a lot going on in this film that is um, ensemble feeling also very similar to a new hope and the way that that they the, the original three will call them you know bonded and over the course of making the film but 
there's a theatrical element to this to the Force Awakens in that where I th- I think Oscar and and John and Daisy were given a chance to kind of just riff sometimes sort of and just right. feel the vibe in the room. And so you end up with scenes sort of like the one where Finn and Ray are getting pulled in by Han's tractor beam early in the film. Right. And he's like climbing up on her head, you know, and she's like, get off. Like, <laughs> right, right. it does, doesn't really land for me. You know, that kind of like cute, right. youthful thing. It just like, I don't know what you would have done instead of that. I just know that's how I reacted to it. But other than that, man, I'm, I'm this particular movie to me is pretty fucking gripe free. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk next about The Last Jedi because I actually have way, way more. I have a lot of gripes, yeah, but same. still love the movie. So I'm excited to have a conversation where we actually find some more things wrong with the film, but still think it's a brilliant film, which is what I right. that's how I feel about The Last Jedi. So this was a near perfect movie to me. What, being a Star Wars fan or not, the story arc of making a movie, building characters, having you be invested in their story. This is a perfect movie. Agreed. I mean. My gripes list is short as hell, to be honest. I, I, I did have I did have a moment where I was kind of like, they're going to blow up another big round thing that kills planets. Yeah. Kind of been there. But I didn't care, ultimately. It didn't inhibit my ability to, number one, stay in and have my disbelief suspended. And it didn't inhibit my, my experience just on a, you know, enjoying the film type level. Little dialogue things that there, there are some things that are very Lawrence Kasdan that work if delivered right like exposition that is kind of cheesy in a good way mm-hmm. type shit um, well it's space epic cheesy it, it's okay right. yeah, yeah. Uh, the original concept behind this whole thing was old 30s space epics which have to be not an expert in those but they have to be the cheesiest shit you've ever seen right you know and some of it like i i know is there because the audience they expect the audience to be younger so you kind of have to spell some things out yep it's not an art house film so snoke saying your father han solo yeah so so just like right deliberately was a little like could have gotten it if you didn't say that yeah would have been all right it's little stuff like that that like bugged my obsessive compulsive kind of nature but, but. I, th- I think some of that's our our not being 10 years old and watching it. Exactly. I think yeah. when you and I start going back to the original trilogy and watching them, we're going to notice so many of these same things and it'll be interesting to talk about them. Right. You know, why, why they worked For when sure. we were six and why they don't work now. So it's really just that. And I'm good. Otherwise I have a big, uh, on the next episode, I, I have a big, I don't care moment. That's like a big argument in the fan base, but I, I'm excited to share it because I know exactly what you're talking about. That feeling of like, really, we're going to do this again, but I don't care because right. I'm still invested. Exactly. Good shit. All right, dude. Final thoughts. Wrap it up super quick. Just your last takeaway from The Force Awakens, Screens Gone Black, Stars, directed by J.J. Abrams, fanfare is playing. What do you think? Oh, dude, I, I loved it. I loved it right away. I still love it. I think it is. It, it, I don't mean this in, in a negative way. I think it is the best that we could have asked for. For something with as high of expectations across the globe, millions of people. I think they checked every box that they could have and did so in such awesome, creative ways, such like genuine ways as, as fans turned filmmakers. It just fucking, it got me on all the levels. I think it was great storytelling. It was great acting. It was great casting of those actors. And um, I was just ready for more. I agree completely and wholeheartedly. And I think that I've referenced this a couple of times tonight in our discussion, my sort of discomfort with people picking it apart. 
it's everything I wanted out of a Star Wars movie, man. It was yeah. Star Destroyers and TIE Fighters and the Millennium Falcon flying through a a, a shipwreck of a Star Destroyer. And just, you know, it was just, it was everything that you, you want Star Wars to be, in my opinion. Um, I, I think there is a lot more discussion, you know, and debate going forward in the next two films as far as how well that was carried out going forward and you know, what built off of and what sort of retracted from The Force Awakens. But in general, going into this as the first installment in the final trilogy, I'm with you, man. I just, it was a Star Wars movie from top to bottom, and I I loved it. All right, let's move on uh, and do what little we can do, given the fact that this is the first episode and we don't have a guest and we don't have any listeners submitted. We failed. Like, no (laughs) guests, no listeners. What are we even doing? I mean, I have... Uh, you got to start somewhere. There's an R2-D2 <laughs> over here that's hanging out with me. I have a little stuffed Yoda. I have a soda. For inspiration. You have a candle. So, okay, well, you know, going forward, why don't you go ahead and sort of tell everybody how we're going to get a hold of all of this listener-generated content for, you know, the Intercepted Transmissions segment and Test Bay 94 segment. Yeah. We want to build this, this listener base, this kind of community of, of like-minded Star Wars nerds around this podcast. We're going to launch a Patreon right out of the gate, which you probably already know about if you're listening to this episode. And we would like to get all of this listener content, including voting on maybe topics that we're going to choose or anything else directly from the patrons of this podcast. So yeah, we have lots of cool ideas between the two of us, I think, but we both would very much love for this to be listener driven, you know, and while we're spinning our gears trying to figure out what we're going to talk about next, any one of you guys could throw something out there where we're like, either something we don't know about that we're both going to be like, Oh yeah, let's go read that book. Or, you know, let's check that out or something we have already seen or thought about that. We just, we haven't thought about using for the podcast. So definitely just give us everything, whatever you want to ask us. Quick reminder that the segments for Test Bay 94 are going to be either ors. So like blue lightsaber or green lightsaber, favorite things, blaster, ship, superpower, villain, planet, whatever. Um, And would you rather Adam's great Han Solo or Harrison Ford flying a plane and not be able to talk about (laughs) Star Wars or Indiana Jones. Um, So get creative with that shit. Get creative. Definitely. And, And as far as the questions go, you know, they don't have to be Star Wars based. I mean, we're here also because uh, we know that a lot of you guys are plugged in because you've supported us in our bands and our music for all these years. So if you have any questions about that kind of stuff, I think we'd be happy to engage and, and answer some of those questions as well. Oh, dude, that kind of shit is ripe for would you rather's like the crossover. Like, would you rather have been in platinum selling yellow card or been a minor character in a Star Wars movie? You know what I mean? <laughs> Tough call, man. You know? <laughs> But uh, we can do the Tashi Station. We can... Let's go pick up some power converters, man. All right, let's do it. I was going into Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Come on, let's go. All right, what do you got? Tell me about some some new hotness you've been messing with. Um, Some new shit. I have a great one for today. And this is not like a super accessible, everyone can go get one thing. And I totally understand that. But it was time. So I did a lot of research and and, and made quite a hefty investment today. But it was so worth it, and my mind is pretty blown. So I bought a new TV today. Sick. My television died, uh, and I called. I tried to do the responsible thing and call to get it repaired and not spend a ton of money on a new television. Uh, but they told me that it was going to cost this much to fix, and it's out of warranty, and it just didn't make sense to not just go finally get a new one. So anyways, I did my research, and if you are a 
someone who loves to watch TV and film and things like we do, then this probably counts for you. But the room that I have my television in, in the in like the, the main room in my house where I watch everything is very bright during the day. I have blackout curtains on several of the windows and it's still a lot of light gets in through the front door and stuff. So I was debating between the Sony uh, A9, which is like the absolute best 4K TV you can buy pretty much right now, and the Samsung Q90R. And so I went and I looked at them both side by side. I could tell a, a difference in that the Sony did sort of outperform the Samsung in the blacks and the color and all the things you want out of a TV like this, but the the kicker for me, like the selling point of the Samsung, not only that it's a good amount cheaper than the Sony, and you're still getting an incredible viewing experience, was that the Samsung comes with anti-reflective glass on it. Oh, nice. And I didn't realize how big of a game changer that was till I brought it home today and, and turned it on. It's gnarly, dude. Like not a single lamp in the room at night reflects off the off the screen it, it's wild that's dope if you're in the market for a new television you know there's a different different like levels of that samsung tv you can get uh with the same that glass on it which is a real game changer but i decide i i tend to keep them for a long time as long as i can you know try not to be stupid and just like buy new shit right when it comes out so right yeah samsung q90r that's my uh, tashi station item for the week dope i don't have a physical item so technically, maybe I went to the Tashi station and I got a gift card. <laughs> uh, I've been super stoked now being a, a Disney Plus subscriber on the Imagineering story, this documentary series that they're doing. Dude. It's so dope. I love it. It is uh, in short. What episode are you on? Uh, I think I've watched three of them. I'm, I, I'm halfway through three. I, I love uh, it. It's basically just the story of, of Disney from the beginning, but told mostly on like the how the park was created, how the attractions, all the technology that they developed for the animatronics and everything else, how all of that was made by this amazing group of creatives that just had like just a, a blank check from Disney to just go come up with cool ideas and make cool shit. And the culture that was there at the time is just like so wildly different from what you would think would be happening in a big corporation. And I guess in those days it wasn't this massive corporation that we know now. So things were different, but, um, it's just a really like, I don't know, just like all smiles kind of like documentary experience. I feel like every documentary I've watched in the past several years has been super gnarly and depressing. And this is the complete opposite. It's just like magical as, as Disney is. So yeah. if you're a creative person or you love Disney, you will love this series. I love it too, man. I think what I love a lot about it, maybe most about it, is it really does take me back to, to my childhood and my, my experience at, at the Disney parks as a, as a child. Yeah, you being from Florida, you probably spent a oh, lot man. of time there. My, my grandmother on my dad's side just spoiled us rotten with Disney. She lived in Maitland, Florida, which is 45 minutes from Disney World. And she just spoiled us to core, taking us to Disney all the time. But yeah, I'm, it's awesome that you brought that up because I've, I've been watching it too, and it's amazing. And Disney Plus in general, it's like the fucking value per dollar. It's unreal. The yeah. amount of content and obviously the quality of the content speaks for itself. Did you do the, um, the three years for the price of two? Uh, I don't remember that being an option. Actually, they ran a thing where you could you essentially sign up for a Disney so and so account. I did the sixty nine ninety nine for the year. Okay, word. That's what I did. We did. But, we pre bought three years essentially at a discount, so it ends up being three something a month, which is insane I don't for the amount of content. That. But yes, you're you have access to every Disney animated film ever made for three dollars a month. That's insane. All the Pixar stuff, the shorts, everything. And it seems like they're going to really 
be you know on it with the original content yeah they're gonna really nail it so i mean so far they have yeah can't wait to talk about the mandalorian oh man me too it, what's cool Good about shit. that is it'll be over you know first season will be over by the time we dive into it right do a full wrap up yeah all right so let's wrap up this episode with a quote quote of the week i'm so proud of the quote you found for this it's such a good first episode quote just well done man it says so much about the man who gave us this film jj abrams is known for this concept that he calls the mystery box something that has informed everything that he's ever created and quote goes like this he says it doesn't matter what's in the box it only matters that there is a box and there's a mystery mystery is more important than knowledge it's jj abrams right there that's the ending of that film that mystery box is what's going to happen what's luke going to do what's ray going to do it's so powerful we're going to uh, get into what they're going to do shortly we are all right dude i think that's it man i think we have successfully navigated our first deep dive thank the maker podcast we did it Fi- finally finally did this thing man many more to come so excited to get into this thing man so you guys can find me on social media anywhere at william ryan key and you can find me at Adam the Skull on all the social media things. If you're looking for the podcast on social media, which we hope you are, and that you will share it with friends and family and other fellow Star Wars fans that you know, you can find us on Twitter at ThinkTheMaker1 and on Instagram at ThinkTheMakerPod. And if you want to support the podcast and help us keep doing this, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ThinkTheMakerPod. So until next time, I'm Adam Russell. I'm Ryan Key. And may the Force be with you. <laughs>